At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. It is the 12th day of March. The 52-hour window opened today for negotiation of contracts. Prior to the start of free agency, that means the market is open for any player who will be an unrestricted free agent on Friday. Their agents can negotiate. Negotiation has begun. There have been reports of various levels of interest in various players. No reports yet of any agreements in principle. Now, teams aren't allowed to say anything. The agents for the players can say so. The players can say so. But nothing is done until Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And even then, it's not done until it's signed. It doesn't become automatically done then. The deal still has to be signed. So nothing's done until it's done, and nothing can be done, obviously, until Wednesday at 4 o'clock. One guy who I'd be shocked if he's done in New Orleans is quarterback Drew Brees. But here we are. We are several hours into the window that other teams can express interest there's a report from me in Rappaport of NFL Media that other teams have expressed interest, no specifics on who. I'm not saying it's not true, but I'd love to know who. And if I'm one of those other teams, I don't know that I want it to be known. Because if I express interest in Drew Brees and then end up with someone else, anyone else I get is going to look like a fallback option. That's part of the danger of going all in for Kirk Cousins if you're the Broncos. If you don't get him, whoever you do get looks like a plan B. And I know that applies really to any player, to any position, but quarterback is the most important. And this is such an unusual year. Multiple free agents available. Multiple first-round talents available. Usually there aren't enough quarterbacks to go around. This year there are enough. Now, whether they end up being good in their new cities, if they're veterans or good at all in the NFL, if they're rookies, is a different issue. But anyone who needs a quarterback can get one this year. Whether you're looking for a free agent, you're looking for a rookie, or both. Some will do both. The Bills, I think, will sign one of the available veteran free agents and move up in round one and take their next quarterback. That's the irony of the notion that the Bills have called about Sam Bradford because he wasn't happy to be in the situation two years ago as the guy who had signed a two-year contract in Philly and then the Eagles trade up to draft Carson Wentz and Bradford was miffed. Now you take what you can get. And now part of the risk of signing a contract, we now know, you could be Mike Glennon. And someone's going to be. Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland, I think will be. Teddy Bridgewater could be. Bradford could be. Josh McCown gladly would be. He'd like to be a guy who is the starter who then helps identify the rookie and works with the rookie and ensures a smooth transition of power at the appropriate time. So Breeze should be the guy everyone's talking about. Everyone's talking about Kirk Cousins because people still can't get their arms around the idea that Breeze could actually leave. And I still don't think he'll leave. And I've never said he will. But I said immediately out of the gates, immediately out of the gates, after the Saints lost to the Vikings in the playoffs, that, you know what? We have to at least keep an eye on this. And until a deal is done for Breeze to stay in New Orleans, we cannot assume that he definitely will be there. And if anyone wants to shut me up about it, get the deal done. Breeze was there today at the team facility for the Zach Streif retirement press conference. 
And if they want to get a deal done, they can. Now, obviously, they can't negotiate directly with Breeze, but if you want to get Tom Condon on the phone, have Breeze in the room and shake hands and get it done, there we go. Also, and this isn't quite five-down territory. I'm just going to meander through a few things, give you an update. I'm also going to update in real time based upon anything that may come in, although obviously this is always taped. No live podcasts, at least not in these parts. And Dominican Sue. His status in Miami had been in question in recent weeks. Now, there was a report from CBS during the season that the owner was done with Ndamukong Sue, and after the season, Sue would be cut. And that angle, I was told at the time, very aggressively by sources in the know, that angle was inaccurate. This isn't about the owner. This is about the money owed Ndamukong Sue this year, $17 million. The cap number for keeping him, $26-plus million, $26.3, I believe. And... At the core, I think a recognition by the head coach, Adam Gase, that that Sue's abilities, his skills, and his overall fit, his intangibles, they don't justify carrying that $26.3 million. So I'm told to expect a release Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That is a sign he will be a post-June 1 casualty, $9.2 million. I believe the number is excess 9.1 in dead money this year, 13.1, I believe, next year. So $26.2 million is the total in money that was already paid. That's where this dead money comes from. It's money already paid in the form of a signing bonus that gets spread over multiple years. The team moves on from the guy and has to account for those dead dollars. The post-June 1 allocation allows you to spread the hit between two years. Not evenly. Just this year's cap number for the dead money previously paid and then whatever's left next year. Now, they could still trade him, but that would allow them to avoid only $3.9 million in dead money. Or that would, that wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That would create $3.9 million in cap space. It would reduce the dead money to $22 million and change. That, see, that's what it comes down to. It's 22.2 or 22.3. I think it's, tw- it's... Yeah, I finally got it right. I meandered enough and I got it right. It's 22.3 million in dead money. The cap number is 26.2. When you factor in this year's salary of 17 plus the 9.2 million in prior dollars already paid. It's another 13.1 next year. I've given myself a migraine. You probably have one too. Boy, if you're still listening, I'm very impressed. Anyway, they're moving on from Sue. They could trade him and save 3.9 million in cap space, 17 million in cash, or they can cut him post June 1 and save 13.1 million in cap space this year and take that cap hit next year of 13.1 million. Boom. Got it. All right. Either way, he's out. Because the easy fix would be to take that $17 million and turn $16 million of it into a signing bonus. You could create more than $10 million in cap space this year, right now. Now, you're, you're just kicking the can, and there would be that $10 million that eventually has to hit the cap. They've decided not to even ask to do it. So off they go. The Dolphins will be without Sue. Where will the market emerge for Sue? How much will he get? And how will the Dolphins replace him? Between Sue and Jarvis Landry, and they'd like to trade Jawan James, some some recognizable names exiting Miami. The goal of Adam Gase and the front office down there to make the Dolphins better. The Packers trying to get better with the addition of veteran free agents. Multiple reports linking tight end Jimmy Graham to the Packers. There has been discussion between Jimmy Graham and Aaron Rodgers. Remember, Jermichael Finley never even had the guy's phone number during his time in Green Bay. Jimmy Graham's already talking to Aaron Rodgers. Last year, they went out and got Martellus Bennett. That was a disaster. This year, it could be Jimmy Graham and or Allen Robinson, the Jaguars receiver, and or Sammy Watkins, the Rams receiver. So the Packers already... Preparing to make moves. Now, it may just be one of the three that they get. And if you add Allen Robinson or Sammy Watkins, aren't you definitely getting rid of 
Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb or both. So they're going to shake things up. But a fascinating time for the Green Bay Packers, if you're a Packers fan, because it looks like new GM Brian Gutekunst, and we had him at the scouting combine on PFT Live, it looks like Brian Gutekunst is ready to break from tradition. Since 1993, Reggie White, Charles Woodson, Julius Peppers, Martellus Bennett, those are the free agents with recognizable names that the Packers have signed. This year, I said they'll do at least two. So we'll see. And this is just the first phase. The smart teams wait for things to die down, and then they go bargain shopping. So that's a quick summary of what's happened so far. Oh, Cameron Brait, by the way, re-signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Six years, $40.8 million, another $4.5 million in incentives on top of that. And when you look at Brait and tight end O.J. Howard, first-round pick last year, had between four and 500 receiving yards as a rookie. Mike Evans with his new contract. I've been poking around whether or not Deshaun Jackson may end up being traded or released. He's got $7.5 million in fully guaranteed money for 2018. That's how the Bucks do their deals. Now he's got more money on top of that that he'll make if he's on the roster, but they don't give signing bonuses. They guarantee salary first two years of the deal in lieu of a big check when the guy comes through the door. It becomes unlikely they would cut him because they still have to pay him the $7.5 million. They could maybe trade him, but at this point there's no discussion of a trade of Deshaun Jackson. I'm fascinated by the possibility of Jackson ending up back in Philadelphia, in part because it feels like Howie Roseman is trying to undo everything Chip Kelly did there, and wouldn't it be great to bring back Deshaun Jackson? There was talk that last year they wanted to bring back LaShawn McCoy. Obviously, that didn't happen. All right, the news is fully exhausted. I'm looking through Twitter right now to see if there's anything worth mentioning. Let's move on to the the questions for today, and uh, I'll be ready to press pause if something would come through, if there's any development. These are weird times to be doing a, a, a taped podcast because there's a chance by the time we, we get this thing posted, some you know major developments will have happened. Your questions... And I'm going to go through these and answer as many as I can. Uh, Well, I'll I'll answer the the good ones or the funny ones. The first one, not all that funny, Ned's feed. Come on, Ned's feed, do better. At Terry Gensler 14, is Philadelphia going to end up in a position like Seattle in 2020 or 2021? How can they avoid it if you think they can? Well, one way to avoid it is don't pay all of your best players market value contracts. As those contracts become due, at some point you have to say, we just can't. We just can't do it. We can't keep all these guys. We have to trust that some of these guys are going to leave and we will backfill with draft picks or bargain priced free agents. Now, I don't know that the Eagles are going to be in the same boat. They're going to have to pay Carson Wentz. Beyond that, they've already paid Fletcher Cox. Yeah, I... I don't sense that they have this this cluster of superstars that they must pay market value to like the Seahawks did. They had Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner, Doug Baldwin, Russell Wilson. Then they go out and trade for Jimmy Graham, which in hindsight they probably regret. But I don't think the Eagles are going to have this nucleus of guys who command market value. And if you do, at some point you just have to tell one of them I can't do it. Cannot happen. Will not happen. And I think part part of what happened with the Seahawks, because they continued to get to the final eight every year, they delayed removing the Band-Aid, both as to changes that were necessary on the coaching staff and changes that were necessary on the roster. Pete Carroll, when we had him at the scouting combine, he, he seemed to agree with my assessment, at least as it related to the coaching staff, that you know it's easy to say we're going to keep with what we have We're not going to make major changes when they finish at least in the divisional round every year for five straight years. With the players, remember, he told me, well, it's not logical to assume that major changes to the coaching staff will result in major changes to the roster, but here we are. But I think it's kind of the same dynamic. You don't rip that Band-Aid off until you have a year that you regard as an off year, and then that provides the impetus 
to make some changes necessary. At Terry Gensler, 14, has a possibly far-fetched trade idea. Nick falls to Arizona for Tyron Matthew and a second rounder. Well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time the Eagles traded a quarterback to the Cardinals for a second rounder. The Kevin Cobb debacle from seven years ago didn't work out. But, boy, if you're the Cardinals, do you risk that Nick Foles isn't going to be the guy for you that he was for the Eagles? Is that big donut hole in Foles' career, his year with the Rams, his year with the Chiefs, I, I, uh, Boy, I'd be nervous about trading for Nick Foles, especially with so many guys available in free agency. Why do you want to give up anything for Nick Foles? That's what's amazed me about the fact that there have been multiple trade offers for Nick Foles. Are these teams not paying attention to all the other quarterbacks that are available without giving anything up? Remember when the Dolphins gave up a second-round pick to get Dante Culpepper and said no thanks to Drew Brees? And, and Culpepper had a wrecked knee, and they were concerned about Brees' shoulder. How'd that turn out? Hey, maybe the Dolphins could get in on signing Drew Brees. At B Flow Foe Show, how do I get one of those fancy schmancy record and fact books you're always referencing? Is it issued annually? Yes, it is. And here's the thing. It's getting harder to get. They post it online, but I don't like the digital copy. I like having it in my hand. I'm holding it right now. It's substantial. It's like an old phone book was. Now, they've changed the size. The first two years I had it, 2000, 2001, my first two years in the business, it really was like a big, thick, big city phone book. They shrunk it down in 02. I've got them all on my wall here or on my on my bookcase. And, and every year I, I have to sweet talk someone at the league office a little bit more to get one. But I refer to it all the time. Yes, a lot of the specific information you're looking for can be quickly accessed with a Google search. Yes, they do have an online version of it. But I love this thing. I'll leaf through it. I'll learn things I didn't already know. I'll stumble over things, historical data. You've got, the, and one of the things I like the most, it shows the history of every team versus every other team. The total number of times they played, every year they played with the score and the location. I'll just give you a for instance. I'll just I'll, I'll pop this open. How about the Chargers and New Orleans? Regular season, Chargers lead 7-5. to five. They first played in 73. They played multiple times since then, a total of 12 all the way through 2016. It's got every score. They had a London game in 2008. Who can forget that one? 37-32. And uh, th- th- that's just an example of the stuff they have. It's good stuff, great information, records, facts. That's why they call it the record and fact book. Next question at Lewis Martin. Are the Seahawks going to take a year out of playoff contention in order to try and go full rebuild for the 2019 draft? No, I think that they they will still be a competitive contending team. And there's going to be a spirit of competition in Seattle, which has always been there. I just think they got a little soft with some of these coaches that they had on the team and some of the star players who were untouchable. No one's untouchable except Russell Wilson. They're going to build around him, and they're going to try to get back into it. They were 9-7 and seven last year. Everybody acts like they were the Browns. They were 9-7. and seven. Could you imagine how happy Cleveland would have been with 9-7? and seven? At Seatown Till I Die, hearing anything about Browns and free agents yet? Not yet, but, boy, the Browns proved to us on Friday what they like to do. They, they like to keep it all kind of quiet, and then they move. They're like Duke and Duke deciding when to sell. Just out of the blue, flip the switch, off they go. It was impressive on Friday and into Saturday. Why didn't they do it Monday? They don't know how to take advantage of a good start of a news cycle. It all came out like it was bad news. All those trades, one after another, Jarvis Landry, Tyrod Taylor, Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser, right in the bad news dump window. Kind of strange. At Terry Gensler 14, can you explain what dead money is and how it affects cap space? B-Flow Show says, please answer this. I need my bi-weekly law seminar. They, they come more often than bi-weekly, Brady. I already talked about this briefly, and I completely screwed it up. Let me give you an example with round numbers that will be hopefully impossible for me to screw up. A player signs a five-year contract with a $10 million signing bonus. By doing that, what happens is $2 million applies to each year of the contract under the signing bonus. So cap number year one is $2 million signing bonus allocation plus 
whatever other compensation he has, roster bonus, base salary, et cetera, per game roster bonus, whatever else is in there. And, and there are other things that would fit, but that's my point. You get $2 million of it counts under the signing bonus, $2 million the next year, $2 million the following year, all the way through to the end of the deal. Now, let's assume two years are done, and we're getting ready for year three. And the team is wondering whether or not they really want to keep the player around. Has this worked out? Has it been a mistake? Are there other guys we can get to do the same thing at a cheaper price? You got $6 million left in dead money, right? You've accounted for $4 million, $2 million in year one, $2 million in year two. You got $6 million left. So what do you do? Well, if you just cut the player before the season starts or, or before the, the league year starts or after the league year starts without the post-June 1 designation, you take the full $6 million acceleration right now, and then he's off the books. Instead of the $2 million you would have carried this year, you take all six and he's off the books. Or what you can do is you can do a post-June 1 designation, and he only counts for that $2 million that he already was going to count in dead money anyway, and the remaining $4 million counts the next year. It doesn't get split 3-3. Three and three. It's still the $2 million that would have counted for the signing bonus allocation this year, and then the acceleration hits the next year. But you have to carry his salary on your books until June 1, which means your cap number is going to be affected because you don't get the benefit of dumping the guy. But he's gone, and he can go sign with another team, and you don't have to pay him but you still have to carry that number until June 2. So I hope that, and, and obviously we're dealing with much bigger numbers for guys like Indomitian Sue, but that's how it works. $10 million signing bonus, five-year deal, $2 million, $2 million, $2 million, $2 million, $2 million. And if you decide to bail halfway through whatever has yet to be allocated under the cap, that either all hits this year or what was going to hit this year under the signing bonus hits and everything next year if you process it as a post-June 1 release. And you are now eligible for your CLE credits. At Sean Alvishar, is Creed Bratton the most underrated character in TV history? He's up there, and I'm glad you asked that question because I've been watching The Office on Netflix as my background noise. That guy is so funny. And the lines they wrote for him and the way he delivers them his explanation about cults, I've been involved in many cults, sometimes as a follower, sometimes as a leader. You have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. Brilliant. The episode, and I howled, I was watching this yesterday, where Michael Scott is going to prove the hazards of a modern workplace by demonstrating the impact of depression, and he's going to jump first onto a trampoline, but then they realize when testing it out that that would be a debacle they get a big inflatable castle and they have it behind a giant shrub and Creed's the one who notices it and he notices it because he's turning around zipping up his fly because he just peed into the shrubs just subtle but brilliant and of course my all-time favorite line from the entire series when Michael Scott had found a certain item that Todd Packer had deposited from his bowels onto the carpet in Michael's office and it stunk to high heaven. Creed shows up and says, hey guys, somebody making soup? At NFL Leeds, why is it taking so long for the NFL to rule on the Jameis Winston allegation? Surely it's in their interest to hide bad news when it's a busy period and allow the Bucks to be competitive and make strategic decisions before free agency in the draft. Does Fitzpatrick's signing imply they know bad news is coming? No, I don't think they know anything. I think the NFL is taking its good old time on this. I don't know whether the allegations have any merit. And the problem is the NFL can reach pretty much whatever decision it wants. If the NFL believes the accuser and doesn't believe Jameis Winston, or if the NFL just believes the accuser a little bit more, or if the NFL just looks at it and says, well, why should, should we think she's lying? What's her angle in making this up? Because she just came forward as part of the Me Too movement. She hasn't sued. She didn't press charges. She just wants people to know about this because there was a genuine belief in the aftermath of the Harvey Weinstein scandal that, that women who previously had suffered these indignities silently were going to come forward, and that's what motivated her. That's a credible reason to come forward. I remember Ronald Darby, who was a witness for what didn't happen between Jameis Winston 
and the student at Florida State back in December of 2012, I believe it was. Darby just happened to be there to witness whatever it was that didn't happen between Winston and the Uber driver in Arizona a couple of years ago. So I don't know where any of that is. I don't know where any of it stands, but we know how the NFL does business. We won't hear anything about it until all of a sudden we do. And usually these decisions are made sometime June, July, August timeframe. So the player has a chance to get his appeal fully resolved before week one. And I think one big takeaway from Ezekiel Elliott, I don't think any of these guys are going to bother to sue anymore. I think that they know there's no way to win. The only chance you have, if you've been victimized by the league through this process that is horribly unfair, that gives you no opportunity to meaningfully defend yourself. And look, I'm not saying that these guys should should get away with this. But my goodness, if you're going to affect their earnings as football players, if you're going to stain them publicly as as domestic violence offenders or sexual offenders, if you're going to do that, you have to give them a meaningful way to defend themselves. And what happened in Ezekiel Elliott's case, he had the NFL on the run in federal court in Texas, but he had to file his lawsuit before the NFL issued a final ruling on his appeal. And see, now... I don't know how you ever beat the NFL to the punch because they control the appeal process. So they can issue the ruling on the appeal and immediately file suit in federal court in Manhattan to enforce the ruling. And I think the only chance that you have, and and this may be years down the road because I think the NFL's knee-jerk reaction for the foreseeable future is going to be to immediately file suit to uphold the ruling and do it before the player can sue in his preferred jurisdiction. You almost have to convince the NFL you're not going to sue. And then after the ruling, boom, you sue them before they can file their own lawsuit. Because that's now the, the model. That came from Tom Brady and it came from Ezekiel Elliott. And be flow for sure, you're getting another law seminar. The race to the courthouse is critical. And the NFL has found a favorable forum. And the NFL essentially issues the ruling on appeal and goes straight to the federal courthouse in Manhattan and files suit. Or probably has somebody there waiting to go to the desk the moment the appeal ruling shows up at NFL headquarters. And because the NFL is responsible for the entire appeal process, they know before the player knows. The player didn't get a fair shake to be the first one to sue. At a minimum, the player should get a chance to win the race to the courthouse. The NFL currently gets a head start. And that will continue as long as the NFL goes straight to court when it wins. Until a player can rope-a-dope the NFL into thinking, no, 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 there's not going to be a lawsuit. A player's not going to win the race to the courthouse. At Stephen Wise, 89, just finished Seinfeldia. Have you ever met Jerry, Larry, or any member of the cast since you all work for NBC and frequently visit New York? I've never met anybody who has ever been any of the key characters on Seinfeld. I'm trying to think if I come across any of the satellite characters anywhere. I'm sure I've met somebody who was on Seinfeld at some point, but I've never met any of the key characters. Now, when the Super Bowl was in New York a few years ago, Seinfeld himself was making the rounds, and we tried like hell to get him to come to 30 Rock, but we weren't able to pull that off because we were doing our show there all week, right out of 30 Rock on the sixth floor, just down the hall from where Jimmy Fallon is now, but we weren't able to pull that off. I tried. I tried. And Seinfeldia is an excellent book. If you're looking for something to read, Seinfeldia. Highly recommend it if you're a Seinfeld fan. At Darren M. Ova, please explain to me why the Browns think Tyrod Taylor will solve their problem at quarterback when he didn't get it done in Buffalo. Here's what I think is going on. I believe that the Browns want someone who will play while the rookie that they draft with the first overall pick or the fourth overall pick is quietly and slowly developing in the background. Tyrod Taylor is the Mike Glennon this year for the Browns. $16 million, and he actually will play. He's the equivalent of Brock Osweiler. The difference is they actually want Tyrod Taylor. They didn't want Brock Osweiler. With Osweiler, they paid him $16 million, minus what the Broncos paid him after they cut him and the Broncos signed him, and the Browns picked up the difference. But the Browns paid that because they wanted the second-round pick. This year, they traded a third-round pick to get Tyrod Taylor. They want Tyrod Taylor, and I think he's the guy 
until the rookie is ready or until the Browns are out of contention and they decide, you know what, let's put the kid out there and see what he can do in these final meaningless regular season games. So that's why they want Tyrod Taylor. And I think John Dorsey sees something in Tyrod Taylor. And look, if they were going to go veteran free agent, Hugh Jackson reportedly wanted A.J. McCarron. But if you go out and you sign A.J. McCarron to a real contract, remember I said this last week, if you sign A.J. McCarron to a true veteran free agent contract, you're not drafting a quarterback with the first or fourth overall pick. This allows them to do it. And I think there's still a chance that with one of those top four picks, the Browns will trade down with the Bills. There could be a link between the Browns and the Bills because they could be two of the teams who have quarterbacks taken at the top of round one in late April. At Roaring R. Austria, assuming teams spend fixed amounts for players' salaries, then giving 3% of all their salaries to the agent industry makes no sense on a global level. On a single player level, it might make sense if a single player can get a better deal with an agent, ultimately the cost of another player, blah, blah, blah. I see what you're saying. If there's a hard salary cap, right, let's assume there's a hard salary cap and the teams spend it all. That's a big assumption, but let's assume that. Hard cap, teams spend everything. Your, your argument is eventually the players are going to get all the money that the agents are siphoning off 3% of the salary cap that otherwise would go to the players. That's not a bad argument. Here's the problem. The owners don't spend it all. The owners have a spending minimum that operates on a rolling four-year cycle. There's a lot of money that's being crammed into owners' pockets. And every time a player does a bad deal, that's more money that the owners can cram into their pockets or spend on other players. But as it relates to having an agent, it is not a zero-sum game. A good agent can get a player a better deal than a player can get on his own. Always. And somebody gave me a hard time today because I said a good agent will always get a player a better deal than he'll get on his own. And I stand by that. A good agent. Bad agent, that's a different story. And it's up to the players to use the resources available to them to find good agents. But a good agent will always get a player more than he can get on his own. When I practice law, one of the devices for representing people who don't have the resources to pay for a lawyer is a contingency fee. And and you hear this all the time. And I remember being amazed by it when I was a kid and I saw the commercials for the first time. We don't get paid unless we get money for you. It's like, man, I get free legal services. This is pretty good. No. You end up giving a large chunk of what the lawyer gets for you to the lawyer as your fee. And if you think 3% sounds like a lot, oh boy. The standard rate for lawyers, if you take it to court, even if you don't go to trial, if you file the lawsuit, it's 33%. If you settle it before you file the lawsuit, it's 25%. And some charge up to 40% if the case gets appealed. It's a huge amount, a huge amount. But here's the thing. Now, look, that's one of the reasons I didn't do injury cases because I didn't like, I typically didn't do them. I rarely did them. I didn't like taking money from someone who suffered misfortune. But the way that you justify doing that is if they don't have a lawyer representing them, if they do this by themselves, the insurance company is going to run roughshod over them. They don't understand the value of pain and suffering, that there is value to that. A lot of people, if they're in an accident, they think as long as they get their medical bills paid, that's fine. They don't realize they're entitled to compensation for going through surgery, going through days of having trouble getting out of bed because their, their, uh, their leg was broken, days of worrying about making ends meet because they have these medical bills and they may not have had insurance to cover them. So there is value under the law in getting a recovery for what you experience by way of your pain and suffering from an accident. So I had somebody balk one time, and I primarily did employment work, and I had a client balk about paying a percentage of what I recovered. And I said, well, there's two ways you can do this. You can hire somebody who knows what they're doing to work the system and get you the best possible outcome you can, or you can do it yourself and you can keep 100%. And it's up to you to decide what you want to do. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody would want to work through the mental gymnastics of, well, how would I go about that? Well, maybe you start by going to law school. 
but the statute of limitations will probably expire by the time you get your degree. So there is value in having someone who will fight this fight for you. I, I understand the point, but that assumes that owners spend the full 100% and they don't. And it also assumes that players can negotiate individually a better deal, and they can't. And Richard Sherman will never admit this. Richard Sherman was the perfect person for the 49ers to fleece because he will never admit that he got fleeced. The example I used earlier today on PFT Live when Stats and I were talking about it, it's kind of like when you want to buy something and your spouse tells you it's a mistake, like a new car. There's a car I really want. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of expensive, I know, but I really want it. Yeah, I don't know, it seems like it's more than we should afford. Yeah, but I really want it. Yeah, I don't know that you're really going to like it once you buy it. You know how you are about those things. You, you get excited about it, and then it sits there after a couple of weeks, and you're done with it. I don't know about that. Okay. And then you buy it, and then what happens? You don't like it. You realize your spouse was right. Are you ever going to admit it? Hell no. Hell no. I love this thing that I wish I hadn't bought. You don't want to hear I told you so. Richard Sherman didn't want to hear I told you so. Someone explained it to me today this way. The players hate writing the check for the commissions. See, if this money just came out of their game checks, they wouldn't notice it. They wouldn't complain about it. Like taxes, anybody who has to pay quarterly taxes realizes if everybody paid their taxes that way, there would be a revolt. There's something magical about having the money removed from your check. Like, you don't get upset. Like, here's my check, and oh, there goes the FICA. What's FICA? I don't know. There it goes. And there's Medicare and Social Security, and there it goes. And it's just like it ne you never had it. But once you have it, and then you have to start writing those checks, how oh, the hell with that? Screw you. This is my money. So the players don't like writing the checks. And they have to quit thinking about the checks they're writing, and they have to think about the checks they're cashing, and how the agent can get them more in the checks they're cashing. And this is the other side of it. It's a combination of the players not liking to write the checks, and some of them deluding themselves into thinking they're smart enough to do it on their own. You know, I keep seeing Richard Sherman did 12 hours of research on past deals. Okay, what did that get him? What did that get him? Somebody else has a question here on Twitter. Terry Gensler, does the one-year $10 million deal for Grimes make Richard Sherman's deal look worse? Yes. Now, Sherman's coming off of a torn Achilles, but his idea of getting protection is having such a great year with the 49ers that they ultimately have to guarantee another $16 million in future year salaries, but they have a window to cut him before the guarantees even vest. That's unheard of. I've yet to hear anyone point out any situation where an agent has agreed to an injury guarantee that vests at some point in the future. You understand that if Richard Sherman has a Pro Bowl season, an All-Pro season, if he hits every trigger in this deal, all he gets is a guarantee that vests next year on the third day of the league year. So, if he has a stellar regular season, tears his Achilles tendon in the Super Bowl, the Seahawks, or the 49ers, rather, I mentioned the Seahawks, because the 49ers can do exactly what the Seahawks did. They can say, we're moving on. And there's no protection. The injury guarantees don't vest until the third day of the next league year. And the way he described the situation to Peter King, I don't think he understands that. Because he said he gets a guarantee if he's a pro bowler. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's a one-year deal for the 49ers, period. And the better he does this year the more the 49ers have to look at this long and hard before they decide to keep him next year. And if he's healthy, they have until April 1 to decide to cut the cord. If he emerges from the 2018 season completely healthy, the 49ers have until April 1, and that's an eternity. That gives them a full two and a half weeks after the league year begins to identify any potential free agents, to maybe do a trade. So th it's just not a good deal. And, I, oh, you're trying to help agents. It's agent rhetoric. That's what Russell Okung said. And then he said a few other things that I don't think he understands and I don't understand. I wouldn't be surprised if Richard Sherman said, here, Russell, tweet this for me. I don't want to take this guy on directly. You do it for me. Because Russell's the guy who cut his own deal a couple of years ago with the Broncos. That deal was horrible. That deal was worse than Sherman's deal. It had no guaranteed money, no protections at all. And then last year, 
I, th I th the way I hear it, he had an agent who isn't an agent, but used to be an agent who isn't a certified agent who kind of worked the angles and worked out the deal for Russell Okun. Last year's deal was better. So, look, this is just the truth. It's factual. And am I trying to help the agents? Yes. Am I trying to help the players? Yes. You help the players by helping the agents by ensuring that there are enough good agents in place who will get the players more than they can get on their own. The worst thing that anyone can be is someone who thinks they know things they don't know. And Richard Sherman thinks he knows things he doesn't know. And I know this. When he says there's no agent that could have gotten a better deal, he doesn't know the half of it. All right, enough on that topic. Let's see what else we have here. At Reverend Markworth, one more question about Richard Sherman. How many players represent themselves like Richard Sherman? It doesn't make any sense to not make use of professionals who can get you a good contract. Well, I agree with that. I think Russell Okung and Richard Sherman are the two most prominent who represent themselves. And the problem is they're both on the NFLPA executive committee, and there's been a push in recent years to squeeze the agents into taking less. And I don't know why the NFLPA allows this. I think the NFLPA at some level wouldn't be all that upset if agents lose their power and influence because at times the agents can make life difficult for the NFLPA. And I'd like to think that the NFLPA and the agents would work well together because ultimately the players will be hurt if agents aren't there to help them get the best possible deals that they can. It's another way for the owners to win. If we had a world without agents, the owners would run roughshod over these players and the owners would make it would be easier for them to, to, to put the guys on their teams they want and stay at the spending minimum and stuff that 10, 11% of the salary cap, the total salary cap, 10 or 11% of the total cap into their own pockets. Uh, at Terry Gensler 14, how many Chris Sims podcast words do you feel comfortable saying? Do you think he has the munchies right now? I know he has the munchies right now. Now, I was watching a clip of Chris Sims Bleacher Report podcast, and he dropped an F-bomb. And one of the reasons I decided to do this is I can say whatever I want. I've never mustered the will to drop an F-bomb. He just casually lets it fly. I'm concerned if you get to the point where you casually let it fly into a microphone in one setting, you're going to potentially accidentally let it fly into the microphone when you shouldn't. And I don't want to have to worry about always thinking, is this, is this when I can say the F-word or not? Apparently, Chris is comfortable with that. Or maybe he isn't. At... Punk is 58. If the Browns can't woo Kirk Cousins, what should their plan B be? I'd say Case Keenum. And see, this gets back to something that I've been saying, and I don't know how this is playing out. But what I would do if I was one of these teams, I'd say, here's my number for Kirk Cousins. Here's my number for Case Keenum. Here's my number for A.J. McCarron. Here's my number for Sam Bradford. And I'd make the offer simultaneously to all four guys. And I'd say whoever takes it first gets the job. Period. Go. And the problem there is if enough teams do that, spots are going to fill up. I think Kirk Cousins would like to take visits. And that was his plan as of a couple of weeks ago. Now, ESPN said over the weekend he's not taking visits. NFL Media says he is. I think he'd like to. But if the teams that are interested in him say, hey, look, we're out if you don't tell us you're taking this. We're moving on to the next guy because we can't dick around here. There's too many unrestricted free agents for us to wait for you. You know, if you're the Vikings and you want to bring him to Minnesota and he wants to come to Minnesota and he wants to have a visit and then he comes there and you can't work out a deal, for the Vikings, there may be no one else. Or for Cousins, there may be no one else to leverage the Vikings against. And I think the bigger risk is the Vikings will have other options, but Cousins won't because there's too many other options. So that's where this thing gets very complicated. So the Broncos, it's almost like you need to have plan A and plan A2. And you need to be moving, or 1A and, B, and 2A. Is that how it goes? What the hell? 1A and 2A. But you almost need to execute them simultaneously. And you need to ask yourself, if we can get Keenum for 17 or 18 or 19, do we do that and say, see you later, Kirk, we're not in your... In your uh, rent district. And then on top of it all, is there any way we can get Drew Brees? I think he should be the white whale. I think he should be the guy that you go after. That leads to the next question from Terry Gensler. As of this moment, what's the percent chance that Drew Brees leaves the Saints? 
If he doesn't have a deal at 4 p.m. Wednesday, does it get to 50-50? Here's the problem. If he doesn't have a deal at 4 p.m. Wednesday, and this goes back to our CLE discussion from earlier about cap money, he currently has a deal that has not expired yet. It voids on Wednesday. If they extend the deal before it voids, he'll count $6 million this year in past signing bonus money under the cap, $6 million in 2019 and $6 million in 2020. If the contract expires, if it voids, if it goes away at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, if they don't have a new deal in place, all $18 million hit the 2018 cap. So that's a complication that the Saints need to think of. So I'm looking at it this way. If the Saints, who have every incentive to just get this deal done and keep that $18 million at 6, 6, and 6. If they don't do that deal by Wednesday, maybe Breeze really is thinking about doing a deal with someone else. The ultimate factor in all of this is going to be how much will the Saints offer versus how much will someone else offer and how big will the gap be and how big of a gap will it take for Drew Breeze to say, I know I've said repeatedly that I'm staying with the Saints, but in good conscience, I can't do it. There will still be fans who blame him for being greedy, but that's the analysis. Is it $5 million a year? Is it $7 million a year? Is it $10 million a year? Is it $15 million a year? Not that the gap would ever be that big, but you get my point. At some point, a gap gets big enough, and maybe it's impossible. Maybe all I have to do is get to $21 million. And if somebody else offers 30 maybe $9 million. Maybe that's not enough for Drew Brees to throw away the goodwill. But Matei, $9 million? $9 million? $9 million? I don't care how much money you've made. $9 million is still $9 million. And it also tells you how much that new team values you. When I heard Zach Streif today doing his retirement press conference and he stopped to thank Drew Brees, that was the most emotional he was during the entire press conference. When he talked about the leadership, the work ethic, they'd show up at the facility, Drew's already there, they make dinner plans, they know they got to order something for Drew because they know he's still going to be there. The sacrifices Breeze has made, the personal sacrifices to grind and grind and grind and work and work and work. You want to feel like your team values that. And if there's some other team out there, what did Dwight Schrute once say about loyalty? He's loyal. And if someone wants to pay him more money, he'll show more loyalty to them. Let's see what else we got. Here's some good questions today. At Black88 Elite wants to know if we're hiring unpaid interns at this time. Unfortunately, we're not. The price is right, but unfortunately, we're not. At B Flow Faux Show, trade idea, Browns trade the fourth overall pick and a second rounder next year for the to the Cardinals for Patrick Peterson and David Johnson. I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by that. It seems like it's a little light for Peterson and Johnson. Maybe you'd have to throw in a little bit more than that as the Browns, but that, that's the kind of stuff the Browns apparently are doing. I mean, we'd have thought it was crazy last week. Jarvis Landry, Tyrod Taylor, Demarius Randall. They're playing fantasy football. But you know what? When you're 0-16, none of these moves are going to make you any worse. At huge ass 143, will Nelson and Cobb get the axe this week? They may. If the Packers sign one of these big-ticket receivers, because we're already saying one of these two guys are in danger now that they've paid Devontae Adams. You've already paid Devontae Adams $14, $14.5 million a year. You go out and pay market value to Allen Robinson or Sammy Watkins or even Jimmy Graham, maybe both Nelson and Cobb are in trouble. At Black 88 Elite, which free agent quarterbacks do you think are most likely still free agents at the start of the season? Start of the season. I think they'll all be signed by the time the season starts. Now, there may be some guys like farther down the list I'm not thinking of, like backup quality guys who sign contracts and get cut and don't make it. But but the, the guys we're talking about, they're, they're all going to be signed. Uh at Mike Tobacco, have you seen Brady's hand? What a gash that is. That's disgusting. No wonder there, I mean, that is a deep, deep cut. That is nasty. No wonder there was concern that he wasn't going to play in the AFC Championship game. At Bust the Driver 69, if Kirk Cousins goes to the Jets, do the Broncos go after A.J. McCarron? I think he's in play. I think McCarron and Keenum are in play for the Denver Broncos if Cousins goes somewhere else. And I don't think the Broncos are seriously in it for Cousins because I don't think John Elway wants to pay top dollar. At Mr. Dan Central, do you think Kirk Cousins will make enough of an impact to justify his contract with a new team? I Look, that's the thing. If you're going to pay Kirk Cousins top of the market on a five-year deal, why not pay Drew Brees top of the market on a short-term deal? Because I think Brees is more likely to come in and have an impact. 
Now, Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback at the Super Bowl, I interviewed him, and he was raving about Kirk Cousins, and he doesn't nearly get enough credit. And I said to him, well, why do you think that is? He said, because of guys like you. So I kind of walked right into that one. But he said he's watched every throw that Cousins has made over the last three years, and he's amazed by what Cousins can do. So maybe the fact that Cousins was as good as he was with such a dysfunctional franchise in Washington, maybe that's a sign that he could be even better. All right, I probably should go get back to what's going on here. Somebody wants to know where I'm going to fight Russell Okun. Well, I'm not going to. Look, I'm, I'm capable of having a debate. Or do I really want to let that guy kill me? Oh, there's breaking news. Bills trade Cordy Glenn to the Bengals. He was available in trade. That's the alert that popped up on my phone from NFL Media. The Bills have traded Cordy Glenn to the Bengals. Again, he was available. The Bengals let Andrew Whitworth walk away last year. And uh, the Bills making moves. It's unclear what they're getting, but I think the Bills are trying to load the cannon for a move into the top five to get their next quarterback. All right. Thank you for some of your time. We'll do this again on Tuesday. I still don't know what we're going to do on Wednesday because on Wednesday the market officially opens. And by the time we tape the podcast and post the podcast, it may be irrelevant. So I may just have to skip Wednesday and do something Thursday. We may do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday this week. But for now, Wednesday I think is going to be too hectic. But we will do this again on Tuesday. We'll see where everything stands. We'll answer your questions. Appreciate your time. Check us out tomorrow morning, PFT Live, NBC Sports Radio and NBCSN, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 7 to 9 a.m. on NBCSN. And around the clock, I mean, we've been cranking the day at ProFootballTalk.com. The numbers are up dramatically, and we're not even to the first day of the league year. I think that day is going to be bananas. I look forward to it. I, I look forward to getting some sleep at some point this week, but, you know, there's, we'll get some sleep in June maybe, or maybe at least in May. But for now, we're going to be locked in, and we're going to be going nonstop Thanks, and we'll talk again on Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.